When God is hidden from us, does that mean he's absent from us? Today we'll explore the story of God hidden in the white space of the book of Esther. Thanks for joining The Bible Brief. In our last episode, we discussed the three waves of exiles who returned from the territories of Babylonia and came back to the land of Canaan. And we saw each wave work on a particular problem that quickly needed solving as they came back to their homeland. The first wave built the temple. The second wave was focused on rekindling obedience to the law. And the third wave rebuilt the walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem. With these tasks complete, the people laid a new foundation for life in the land, with worship at the second temple as they followed the law of God. Now the third wave was led by a man named Nehemiah, and Nehemiah traveled farther than any of the other returners. He didn't come from around Babylon. He came from a city called Susa, and Susa will be the setting for today's episode. During the Persian period of dominance over the known world, after the defeat of the Babylonians, the main royal city of the empire shifted from the city of Babylon further east to the city of Susa in modern-day Iran. In the Bible, the city of Susa is often called Susa the citadel. This description as a citadel emphasizes the nature of the city. It was up on a mound or a tall hill that gave the city significant visibility to surrounding areas and it was fortified in case of attack. Strategically, this city, the city of Susa, was a stronghold, and a place where a king could be protected from an aggressive enemy army. Well, while these waves of exiles are returning to the land of Canaan, there's some significant drama happening at the same time in the city of Susa. Drama that turns from something like a Miss America pageant into a near genocide over just a few chapters of the Bible. Let's listen to the setup. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded those who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Soon after conferring with his advisors on the best course of action, Ahasuerus decides that he will pick a new queen in place of Vashti, and his advisors suggest a sort of Persia-wide beauty contest, where all the most beautiful women in the empire could come to present themselves before the king. The king likes this idea and commands for it to be done. 
And then we meet the next important people to this drama. Now, there was a Jew in Susa the Citadel whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is, Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel, Esther was also taken into the king's palace. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So, now we know three of the four main people of the story. Ahasuerus, the king, Esther, the beauty, and Mordecai, the Jew. And here, things begin to gain some interest. After at least a year of beautification and waiting on the other women to be shown to the king, Esther is finally brought before Ahasuerus. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the other women, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Ahasuerus had chosen a new queen, the secret Jewess, the beautiful Esther, and the kingdom celebrated. Now, after a while, Esther's uncle Mordecai gains the favor of the king as well. Having made a practice of hanging out outside the palace to hear about how Esther was doing, Mordecai eventually overhears talk of a couple of palace guards who want to assassinate Ahasuerus. Realizing the danger, he immediately makes this known to Esther, who subsequently tells Ahasuerus of this plot. He sentences the revolutionaries to hanging and makes sure to have his scribes write down Mordecai's involvement in exposing the assassination plot. But finally, after all this setup, we meet the villain of the story, a man named Haman. A man who, for reasons we don't have time to explain here, hates the Jews. And probably his family had taught him to hate the Jews from his earliest days. His ancestry was from an ancient enemy of the Israelites who had resisted the Israelite takeover of the land of Canaan nearly a thousand years prior. He and his family held a grudge that was nearly a thousand years old. So we see Haman's introduction and the budding of the plot in just two verses. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, son of Hamadatha, and advanced him to set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. At this point, Haman is enraged and furious that Mordecai the Jew will not honor him, and his fury leads him to a wicked idea. Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. 
their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Haman plans a genocide of the Jews, and Ahasuerus goes right along with it and issues a decree that cannot be revoked. Now let's pause for a moment and ask an important question. Where is God in this story? Did we forget to mention him? Isn't there some commentary about God watching over the Jewish people, those people through whom many of God's promises would be fulfilled? Well, we didn't forget to mention God. God is simply hidden in the book of Esther. In fact, there isn't a single mention of God in the book. But lest we think that this is odd in the Bible, we need to think about it from a strategic sense. What is God telling us with his verbal absence from a biblical book like this one? A book full of existential threat to his people. Well, the title of the book will help us. The title of this book of the Bible is Esther. And linguistically, in Hebrew, there's a rhyming pun where we're intended to relate the book to something God had said a long time ago. Esther sounds a lot like Esther, which means I will hide in Hebrew. God's hiddenness was something he actually promised way back in the book of Deuteronomy. He had said that when the people break the law that he had given the nation, that he would hide himself from them. Remember, the Israelites were in exile because they'd broken the law and had been cast out of the land of Canaan. And the book of Esther, in a sense, is a demonstration of another aspect of the consequences of exile the consequence of God's hiddenness. Now this little side point brings up a very important question for the remainder of the Esther story. Does God's hiddenness mean God's absence? Will God just allow the Jews to die thanks to this wicked plot of Haman? Well, let's continue. Mordecai and Esther are devastated at the news of the decree and they spend time in mourning and sadness at their apparent fates. And yet Mordecai sees a potential opportunity. Esther, after all, is the queen. Couldn't she just talk to the king to try to find a resolution? Well, there was one problem. Doing so risked death. You see, the law in those days said that if anyone went unsummoned into the king's presence— That person had a death sentence unless the king held up his ruling scepter to the person and allowed them entrance. Esther would be risking her life to go into the king's presence, even though she was the queen. And Mordecai says this to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther said, Go, 
Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink anything for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. God is hidden, and the lives of all the Jews in Persia are on the line. The queen is risking death, and for three days, all the Jews in Susa will fast. Will the hidden God respond to their plea for help? How will the Jews escape this Holocaust? Join us tomorrow on The Bible Brief. Are you enjoying the podcast? One of the best ways for the show to grow is for you to share it with a friend. Will you do that today? We'd love to help more people understand the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.